Welcome to today's panel discussion, Using Facial Recognition to Secure the Homeland and Enhance Customer Experience, sponsored by NEC Corporation of America on Federal News Radio 1500 AM, part of the Federal News Network. Here's our moderator, Mr. Tom Temin. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guests today are Nick Megna, Unit Chief of the Biometric Center of Excellence Program at the FBI. Patrick Rother is Computer Scientist at the National Institute of Standards and Technology. Arun Vemery is Director of Biometrics and Identity Technology Center at the Department of Homeland Security, Science and Technology Directorate. And Matt Pruitt is Chief Federal Solutions Architect at NEC Corporation of America. Gentlemen, it's good to have you here today. Exciting area because of the constant development in technology and the quality of the algorithms and the capabilities of biometric and especially facial recognition. And it seems to be moving toward facial recognition in many of the federal applications, so we're glad to see that. Uh, why don't we begin by just giving an overview of what facial recognition and biometrics looks like. And if you're an operational agency like FBI, give us a sense of what your plans and, and strategies are and then some of the standard setting and research ends of the agencies. We'll get that view and then we'll get the industry view. So Nick, you go first. Well, internally the FBI will definitely plan to look at efficiencies with regards to biometrics, but I would say the majority of our plans focus around external support to our federal, state, local, and tribal criminal justice agencies in the performance of their criminal justice duties, as well as background and screening and immigration agencies who background screen individuals in positions of trust or for credentialing. With regards to the criminal justice arena, we continue to support latent fingerprint search capabilities at the national level. That's the ability for a federal, state, or local agency to scan in or encode a fingerprint image recovered from a serious crime scene and search that against a national system in order to receive a candidate list and perform subsequent comparisons by latent examiners. We also offer investigative facial recognition capabilities and that's also a candidate list that goes back to a trained face examiner that would be working through an investigative photo that they're comparing to mug shots. With regards to palm print search capabilities, we can also offer a national search for that. Those are often recovered from crime scenes. From the background screening perspective, the non-criminal justice agencies leverage 10 print fingerprint searches to access criminal history information and perform fitness determinations to determine suitability when authorized for positions like school teachers or bus drivers. With regards to... Or coaches. I've oh. been through that 25 times myself. Absolutely. So the FBI will continue to perform research tests and evaluations in these areas to make sure that our capabilities remain state-of-the-art and we comply with national standards. One area that we've developed within the FBI is the Biometric Center of Excellence program. And that program holds a responsibility for research, test, and evaluation. Although it's made up of several FBI entities across the Bureau, it's really headquartered out of Clarksburg, West Virginia by the program's research and standards unit. And the, the true power of that unit is their collaboration with federal, state, and local agencies an interagency agreement they hold with the National Institute of Standards and Technology and a cooperative agreement with West Virginia University that serves as the conduit into academia to make sure we can have access to some of the best researchers in the world. And just getting back to that idea of investigative facial recognition where people compare photos to mugshots, that is photos captured say at crime scenes or by video surveillance for example, and is that something, is that comparison done by people or is it done by algorithms? That's an excellent question. So the algorithm is the first step in a two-part process, whereas the second step is a face examiner that's responsible for working through those comparisons. Recently, the FBI's Advisory Policy Board instituted policy to require that face examiners be trained mm -hmm. up to the face standards promulgated by the Facial Identification Science Working Group to ensure that these individuals are capable and effective at making those comparisons. So in other words, you're not quite there to the point where the algorithm is absolutely reliable or acceptable maybe in the court of law for 
for verification. Right, we would never rely solely on the algorithm. We always have an individual in that process, whether it be the FBI staff doing it for FBI purposes, or our federal, state, or local partners doing it for their criminal justice purposes. But would it also be fair to say that as the algorithms develop, that can be fed back to help train people that look at faces from a visual standpoint to know where to look maybe more accurately to say, yeah, that really is Joe Schmo. Absolutely, and, and we're dedicating resources uh, to focus on the new technologies. That's one area that we are seeing rapidly evolving with the algorithms, and we actually partner very closely with the National Institute of Standards and Technology on their latest facial challenge where they're going out and documenting the state of the art so we can compare where the accuracy has moved to in the past few years. Okay, so that's a good entree into Patrick Rother of NIST and the scientists doing all of this work. What is going on? What's advancing in facial recognition? So there's been something of a revolution in face recognition in the last few years with a, a whole set of algorithms uh, coming online um, based on a neural network technology that's uh, really quite new. And the industrial commercial competitors in, in the field of uh, have adopted those technologies and integrated them into their product lines. And that, that acceptance of the technology is quite broad and, and the benefits that we've measured at NIST is uh, large accuracy gains over what we measured when we did this back in 2013-2014. So the error rates today on uh, mugshot data uh, are about a factor of 20, up to a factor of 20, lower than what they were four years ago. So this is a revolution rather than an evolution of the technology. Um, it's, it's my job to analyze uh, how well face recognition algorithms work and then we publish that in the open literature to, uh, to give a worldwide audience an ability to assess what are the good algorithms, when do they work, when do they, do not, when they don't work, and to uh, make decisions based on that. And uh, you said neural network technology. Maybe tell us more what that is. So the, the, the full term is convolutional neural network. And the idea is that you would pass an image into a, 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 this, this convolutional neural network. And you would train it over a very large data set to be able to discern somebody's identity. So uh, the, the process works by giving the network uh, lots of images. I mean, millions and millions of images. And it would learn over time uh, identity. So when a new photograph comes in, you pass it through the network, and out, out the other end pops a, a feature vector that is representative of you. Mm -hmm. And there's a, a many different commercial approaches to doing that. Um, but they're sort of, in large part, resting on the same technology. And that, that vector that comes out of the, uh, the network um, can then be compared with prior encounters of you with the same vector. And the, the, the similar ones uh, become what Nick referred to as the candidate list that goes to an examiner for adjudication or would be used in some automated process elsewhere. So the implication is the feature vector is unique to every individual on Earth. That's the goal. And it doesn't quite get there, but, uh, but it's, it's, it's much better than it used to be. Mm -hmm. So we pretty much know for a, it's a given fact, though, that that is a unique identifier. It's just a matter of fine-tuning the algorithms to where smaller and smaller differences can be detected and, and uh, compared. Yeah, that's right. Um, but this is a rapidly evol evolving space. And so uh, in all the tests that we've ever run, we always see a spectrum across the industry between of capability. Certain entities uh, can do face recognition very well. And there's a, a long tail of other people who can't do it so well. So there's always uh, a sort of a buyer beware aspect to this that the uh, organization involved in face recognition should know their algorithm and, and make sensible procurement decisions. Okay. Where do the differences sometimes lie? Uh, I mean, is one better detecting the difference between the eyes and the nose and the other one between the nose and the chin? or? It's never quite that simple. The, how the algorithms operate, especially with these new neural network technologies, is not quite known. And so, so um, these are proprietary? Fully black box proprietary and okay. high-end intellectual property. This is not a commodity kind of item. 
and, and different algorithms have got different sensitivities to sort of poor quality images. Some algorithms wouldn't work in low light. Some algorithms might not work at, at, at non-frontal, off-angle images. Mm -hmm. uh, but you have to test it to know that. Okay, so you so that uh, NIST is kind of the clearinghouse for all of this and tries to yeah. And and our, our our mission is to support commerce through sort of efficient um, uh, publication of of, of data uh, to support standardization and support uh, and support measurement by other people as well. Okay, and Arun, you know, science and technology director at S and T at Homeland Security tends to be kind of the near term. Uh, help for applicable technologies and you know deployments. What uh, is going on? We know about CBP and global entry and the addition of biometric or facial recognition uh, to that program. What's going on? Uh, so, so yeah, great question. So uh, to Patrick's point and actually to Nick's point earlier, uh, we're seeing a tremendous amount of change in biometric technologies in general. Uh, one of the things that we're looking at, and, and traditionally we have done a lot of work specifically focusing on CBP and a variety of their missions, uh, but one of the things we're seeing is because the technology is becoming much more uh, ubiquitous, much more capable, uh, generally lower cost, uh, providing greater flexibility in how we not only collect but match images as well. Uh, the number of use cases we expect in DHS is pr likely going to increase. So rather than primarily focusing just on CBP, one of the things we're looking at doing is creating this biometrics and identity technology center to better support different operational components across DHS. So not only support CBP, but support ICE and Customs and Immigration Services and other agencies as well. Because what was once a pretty time-consuming uh, and laborious process is actually turning out to be much faster, much more efficient, and much more capable than before. So a lot of what we're looking at doing is seeing how these new technologies and how the traje trajectory of these new technologies is likely to perform, uh, allow us to either enhance our operational capabilities, but also maybe improve the scalability of our operations as well. And how do you go about the research? How do you determine what these use cases might be and what the state of the art is? Or do you just call up Patrick at NIST and ask him? So it, it's kind of a little bit of all of the above, right? So one of the things is obviously uh, Patrick is on my speed dial, uh, and I reach out to him often, uh, maybe a little bit more often than he'd like. But we also are reaching out to our operational components, trying to have a good idea of what their, where their pain points are. Um, so S&T is, is actively working with operational components to identify where their gaps are, identify where they want to go with capabilities, and then looking at marrying technologies and process. I think the major thing here is it's not just about technology, it's about process. You can have a great technology, but if you don't have a good way to implement it in the real world with staffing, with infrastructure, with these other things, the technology won't get you there by itself. It's one piece of a larger puzzle. And one of the things we look at doing is building out that concept of our operations and that larger process that can more effectively use the technology to fulfill the operational mission. Sure. So Matt, it sounds like NEC is in a kind of battle with many competitors, and it seems like the battleground is the central algorithm. Tell us what, what how NEC views the whole biometric and facial market right now. So we've seen the uh, market explode with biometrics currently, and especially face recognition over the last few years has grown tremendously. And part of that is the ubiquitous use in commercial products as well. So now you unlock your computer, you unlock your phone with your biometric. And what that's done is it's helped feedback into the market and help us with our partners develop better algorithms for face recognition. Um, as we've seen face recognition actually approach the performance of fingerprint and close to iris as well, we've seen it being used more and more. And doing collaboration with the commercial market has helped us feedback into the government market as well. Um, that data also helps us make our algorithm better. So as you train more and more, Patrick talked about CNNs, that actually makes your algorithm perform better because a computer is very good at differentiating different people the more data it has. Whereas fingerprint technology, for instance, is based more on traditional manual methods that a computer has been trained to do. Facial recognition really is a machine learning application. So as you gain that data, various poses, different lighting conditions, your algorithm can perform better and better. So what that's led to, combining our commercial experience with our government experience, is not only increased security, it's also increased experience. So because of that, as Arun was talking about, it's 
part of the ecosystem. So facial recognition is a tool, it's used within a process. And using that process, we can get better and better, making biometrics easier to use. Okay, so yeah, so when you mentioned uh, machine learning application, the implication is, I guess, that at some point it will surpass fingerprints and iris because a fingerprint has to be like that, whereas a face can be in any one of a myriad of situations. So there's more ultimate flexibility if you can get the accuracy in all of those situations. Right, this comes back to security and convenience. Fingerprints are very accurate, iris is also very accurate, but it requires a lot of cooperation from the subject usually. They have to place their fingers down, they have to look directly in an iris camera. But face can be taken in various different poses. Faces in the wild can be taken from the side, from the front, and depending on the quality of algorithm you get, you can still perform facial recognition without too much cooperation. So as you can imagine on the aviation side, um, as we roll out more and more programs that use face recognition to board your plane to enter the country, it means it's a lot easier for the passenger while still giving that level of security and assurance you need for the government. Interesting. Okay, we're going to pause on that note. Fascinating technology. My guests today are Nick Megna, Unit Chief of the Biometric Center of Excellence Program at the FBI. Patrick Rother is Computer Scientist at the National Institute of Standards and Technology. Arun Vemery is Director of the Biometrics and Identity Technology Center at Homeland Security. And Matt Pruitt is Chief Federal Solutions Architect at NEC Corporation of America. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. This panel discussion is Using Facial Recognition to Secure the homeland and enhance customer experience sponsored by NEC on Federal News Radio 1500 AM part of the Federal News Network Facial recognition as a security technology has entered the mainstream and advanced recognition systems from NEC Corporation of America is answering the call and tackling some of the nation's biggest security challenges. With more than 40 years supporting diverse federal biometric and identification missions, NEC delivers scalable end-to-end -end artificial intelligence and biometric solutions and trusted analytics that enable the safety, security, and economic interests of the United States. Federal efforts to improve biometric identification and authentication increase center on facial recognition. NEC's high-performance facial recognition technology is the result of years of research and global development experience in high-throughput identity validation. Large federal agencies rely on NEC's technology on a daily basis. Their rapid access biometric solution is currently utilized by 17 airports for biometric entry exit, enhancing passenger security, eliminating long queues, and improving operations and the customer experience. To learn more, visit NECAM.com ARS. Welcome back to our panel discussion, Using Facial Recognition to Secure the Homeland and Enhance Customer Experience, sponsored by NEC here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. My guests today are Matt Pruitt, Chief Federal Solutions Architect at NEC Corporation of America. Arun Vemery is Director of the Biometrics and Identity Technology Center at the Department of Homeland Security, Science and Technology Directorate. Patrick Rother is computer scientist at the National Institute of Standards and Technology, and Nick Megna is unit chief for the Biometric Center of Excellence program at the FBI. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. And uh, part of this discussion is security, which is the obvious use case across the government for facial recognition, but really high on the agenda for the administration and for quite a number of agencies is enhancing customer experience. And of course, this is an idea that goes back many, many administrations, but the technology and capabilities of technology as applied to customer experience has really advanced a lot in the last couple of years. So maybe, maybe talk about how uh, interactions with other federal agencies, your own employees, and if applicable with the public, and I think that's probably a little bit of that is true of almost every agency, how facial recognition and biometrics can enhance that CX idea. And Nick, we'll start with you. So when you talk about the FBI's large back-end biometric matching systems, those are interfaced with by tens of thousands of federal, state, and local and tribal criminal justice agencies. The FBI leverages a shared management approach to really uh, come up with the policies and the technical approaches with regards to these systems. And that approach is the Advisory Policy Board, which is chartered under, under the Federal Advisory Committee Act. And it's made up, the advisory process is made up of all the states, local agencies within those states, federal agencies, and national security representatives. 
and that's how we come up with our recommendations and policies that we push up to the FBI director. Within that framework in our biometric systems, we have an open specification that's referred to as the Electronic Biometric Transmission Specification. And for almost two decades, this specification has ensured backward compatibility with tens of thousands of federal, state, and local agencies who often aren't overly funded for the systems mm -hmm. that they develop to interface with our systems. So that in itself has been a success for the criminal justice community. We also certify biometric devices for use with the systems to ensure that image quality and fidelity is there uh, because these are major decisions being made with these biometrics. To date, we've certified over 800 devices that are vendor agnostic across all of the vendor community, and we post them on a website for all of criminal justice to be able to go and purchase those products knowing that they can be used in compliance with our systems. What are the nature of those devices, like cameras or? Fingerprint mm -hmm. capture devices, mobile fingerprint capture devices, flat fingerprint capture devices, rolled devices, as well as printers and scanners. Okay, what about facial? Is that uh, any of those yet part so of we, that ecosystem? So we don't certify cameras because that would be nearly impossible to do considering the camera market, but we do have best practices that we push out for mugshot capture and in partnership with NIST, NIST pushed out a special publication that has subject acquisition profile levels for image capture of mugshot images. Uh, so we refer to more of a best practices approach for that and standards. Okay, and Arun, you mentioned you know there are many possible new use cases mm -hmm. within the Homeland Security panoply beyond CBP, and I mean I can imagine many of them. For example, I'm just making this one up, but say FEMA, uh, where they have an issue of identifying people eligible for benefits in the aftermath of a disaster. They could be if they're say living in a flood-prone area, for example, or a fire-prone area. Could they be say pre-registered? using facial and then at the time of emergency there's a real quick way to say yeah that's them and that's where they live and therefore they're eligible that kind of thing but you tell me yeah so one of the things is uh, in, in this customer experience context oh yeah so uh, to your point about customer experience I think one major thing to mention there is once upon a time with this technology it was usually either very secure or very easy to use but probably not very secure the technology between both the collection process and the cameras as well as the algorithms has dramatically shifted how those two, what were used, what used to be kind of opposing forces. Uh, so you can actually have very fast, very convenient collection that is also very accurate. Um, so that paradigm that used to be there isn't really in there and to the same extent. So you can find very fast, very easy to use um, uh, systems that work quite well. One of the things we've done, uh, recognizing that, you know, they're, they're, we actually, so we look across a, a lot of our operational users, but we also support, um, you know, some different things with regard to uh, the different critical infrastructure sectors as well. Uh, one of the things we, re we realized was there really is a fundamental need to have a really good, fast, easy process to say, I don't know who people are on one side of this line. They have to go through this process. And on the other side, we need to be really confident about who they are. So uh, a couple of months ago, we kicked off this thing called the Biometrics Rally. We invited industry to participate. Uh, we basically said, you can put in whatever combination of technologies you'd like, but we're going to evaluate you on a few things. Well, first, security aspects. Okay, are we able to match you? How well are we able to match you? Uh, we're going to look at transaction times and throughput because efficiency is a big part of this. Uh, a lot of people think about purely security, but really it comes down to, in a lot of cases, uh, how much time is a person interacting with the process and what's my staffing associated with that process. But then we also evaluated on user satisfaction. So the companies came in, they brought their technologies, they had them tested as part of this process, and we provided them back with feedback so that they knew exactly how well they were working, where they were having errors and problems, what the people who were volunteering to be part of this process, uh, what their perception of the use of the technology was. But the other part of it that probably we don't emphasize enough was we invited a lot of other stakeholders. Uh, we had probably about 100 folks from different, 20 different federal agencies, as well as a number of airport and airlines come in and see and observe the technology. Because if you get that process right, it can be applied to any number of applications. Yes, border security, maybe aviation security, maybe um, uh, critical infrastructure uh, access to, to sensitive areas. 
right, build, uh, government building access controls, right? These are across the board, and if you can do that particular operation very well, make it very, you know, uh, easy to use for people who are either frequent users or very infrequent users, and they can all use it equally well, um, it becomes a really powerful capability. And for us, one of the things that we wanted to do was bring in external stakeholders like airports and airlines because that helps to make the market honestly larger. It gives companies more of a bigger, a greater incentive to make the technologies work better so that it's not only available for government use, but it's available for commercial and private use as well. So I really think DHS has done a wonderful job at doing this. It used to be biometrics was set apart. You know, 10 years ago, you'd think the word biometrics, you'd think law enforcement. Now it's all about experience. So taking facial recognition as part of that ecosystem and adding in human factors really helps to both increase the awareness of biometrics and make people want to use it while increasing their experience in the system. So that overall adds to the security aspect. When people want to use biometrics to make their life easier, it makes acquiring the face easier. It makes it easier to walk through a system, which adds back to the data and the experiences we can do. With NEC, what we really looked at when we were developing some of our systems was working with commercial industries as a partner. So it wasn't a product we put out and walked away. We actually worked with a major theme park to create one of our facial capture devices. And when you can do facial recognition at a theme park, you know, dark rides, outside in the sunlight, children as young as five up to adults. Wearing funny hats. Exactly. You can actually put that into the aviation space. You can put that into the hospitality space and put that with the government. Adding all that experience feeds back into the security aspect because we can deal with a lot more data at lower quality. And it sounds like uh, the implication here is that accuracy, while that is the ultimate pursuit of the new algorithms and the new capabilities, speed really has to be part of it because if accuracy takes three weeks of processing time, then you really haven't gained anything uh, for almost any use case. Patrick, is, how does that figure into the research and the, and, the, and the work that you do? This is part of the, the system that, that, that we've all referred to, that you've got a camera at the front end, you've got a, maybe an analyst at the back end and an algorithm in the middle, and it's, it's the entire chain that will, give, uh, a, will be responsive or not. So a good quality camera that is understanding what a face is um, which legacy cameras don't really do, that is aware of, of, of the presentation of the face to the camera and can do so rapidly, will produce a good image which will feed through to an algorithm uh, which will give you an accurate result, uh, which will be easily uh, reviewed by an examiner uh, at the back end maybe or, or maybe accepted uh, straight away. It uh, sounds like mobility is becoming a big part of this because you know just the ordinary smartphone camera at least in my experience, a little square goes around what it sees as a face, and it goes around what I see as a face. It can even tell a cat's face. So th that is a new technology that's been integrated first into smartphones, again, probably based on neural network technology, that's doing face detection uh, and, and maybe even quality assessment uh, in real time to ensure that what comes out of that process is, is a good image. And, and that supports high, high accuracy recognition downstream. Sure, and Nick, I imagine you know, at the FBI level, maybe you look both to the, what's happening in consumer development for this new accuracy and speed, but also military, because they have algorithms and systems that can see things in the dark and identify what are figures versus what are bushes tumbling in the dark, say, for example. Absolutely. We have a very close relationship with the Department of Defense, and we actually have some of their staff in our Biometric Technology Center in Clarksburg, West Virginia. So uh, we, we definitely want to leverage what the partner agencies are doing and, and apply it wherever appropriate. All right. So, Matt, where does this all lead in terms of, like, product development? Because uh, you've got many components in a system. There's the camera. There's, there's some sort of technology behind the camera. And then inside, there's processing of an algorithm. How does it all integrate into something that is fast and accurate? Yeah, so that's the importance of looking at the entire ecosystem. So face recognition is a tool in that ecosystem. But as we develop and look at the human factors, how people use something, how they interact with it, we can really enhance that experience. And it's important to realize that face recognition doesn't sit alone in a system. There's a wide variety of factors that can go into determination of an identity. So we use sensor fusion, for instance, to determine, yes, this face was seen, that body was in this area, their phone was in this area. 
and all of that gets rolled up that and sent sens sensor fusion sensor fusion mm -hmm. so multiple sensors kind of combining contributing pieces to an identity but most important to realize as Patrick was talking about there's a human in the loop at the end so this face recognition algorithm doesn't always make the final decision it's reviewed by someone and verified yeah, I imagine, Patrick, that's a big issue. That's in many areas, including military and now civilian, is the, at, at what point does autonomy really need to stop and the human and the auditability of that interaction or that decision uh, take place? Certainly in something like a criminal justice setting, then you need to have somebody testify in court uh, and understand what the algorithm did and what the reviewer did. Um, in civil applications, you would be quite happy with a phone to make a decision on its own. Uh, uh, my organization has done work uh, to support the human uh, system interaction, uh, and we've evaluated how well human examiners can review difficult pairs of faces. Is it the same person or not? And that's ongoing work, and of course you can always challenge a human by degrading the quality of the images. So this is why standards become important and good photography becomes important. Yeah, so uh, that vector idea itself is nevertheless then enhanced by good quality capture in the first place. Yeah, and uh, you know, faces used in, in two modes, sort of one-to-one -one verification, same person or not, but also in this one-to-many mode. And there's a, a paper just published today indicating that the, the best humans can remember about 10,000 faces, but the algorithms can uh, successfully identify people in, in tens of millions or hundreds of millions of faces. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there is a difference in, in human capability and just complementing the other, the, the two together is, is, is kind of important in, in real systems. Sure, Nick, how does that affect the FBI, I imagine, a great deal? So absolutely. Uh, the, the, the key tenet of our facial recognition program is having a trained examiner on the other side of that candidate list to work through those potential candidates. And uh, I, think you, I think you nailed it when you talked about image quality. As with any biometric, the quality of the image directly impacts the accuracy of the algorithm. So it's of the utmost importance that we take good photographs for those mugshots. That way they can be used later on to search against for serious crimes if an investigative photo exists. Yeah, and it sounds like then that uh, as uh, surveillance technology improves, and we've seen really high resolution color surveillance now, you see these in crime settings and so forth, even on the nightly news, compared to the cameras of yesteryear, which were, you could tell there was somebody in the hallway and there was a human being, but that was about all you could tell. Seems like the, the infrastructure is improving uh, our own. Yeah, I think it's fair to say the camera technology in general has increased greatly. Um, my, my personal perception is that it, you know, it's slowly been driven again by the mobile phones and people getting lower cost, more capable cameras into those things, and those those types of cameras being placed largely almost everywhere. Um, so there's a couple of things there. Um, like so, with better cameras, we are getting. Uh, generally speaking, we, 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 it is more helpful for facial recognition. We still have issues around, again, lighting and pose and all those types of things. Uh, the algorithms are getting more resilient and more, more robust to accommodate those different issues. So it's, it's allowing greater uh, flexibility in how we collect and how we deploy and how we use these different technologies. Yeah, um, and, and the implication there then, Matt, is that an integrated system is really what what is most practical in this and not just the best algorithm in a, in a vacuum. Exactly, you have to really look end to end. And part of that is as cameras are getting better, it's important to realize that you can't necessarily replace an entire infrastructure that's already out there. So working with the government, working with military divisions, um, being able to train up the algorithm and work with very low quality data when necessary means that you don't necessarily have to replace all the cameras that are out there. You don't have to replace the sensors. You can use those and still give accurate and secure results. Almost a continuous improvement system exactly. as different ends, different pieces of the, of the product chain come out. Go ahead and do that, but you don't have to throw everything out. Exactly. We're improving every aspect of the system, but we always try to work with what exists and how we can upgrade. So we always identify that path. 
Okay, on that note, we'll take a short break here. My guests today are Patrick Rother, computer scientist at the National Institute of Standards and Technology. Arun Vemery is director of the Biometrics and Identity Technology Center at the Homeland Security Department. Matt Pruitt is chief federal solutions architect at NEC Corporation of America. And Nick Megna is unit chief of the Biometric Center of Excellence program at the FBI. I'm, to- I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. This panel discussion is using facial recognition to secure the homeland and enhance customer experience. Sponsored by NEC on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Facial recognition as a security technology has entered the mainstream, and Advanced Recognition Systems from NEC Corporation of America is answering the call and tackling some of the nation's biggest security challenges. With more than 40 years supporting diverse federal biometric and identification missions, NEC delivers scalable end-to-end artificial intelligence and biometric solutions and trusted analytics that enable the safety, security, and economic interests of the United States. Federal efforts to improve biometric identification and authentication increase center on facial recognition. NEC's high-performance facial recognition technology is the result of years of research and global development experience in high-throughput identity validation. Large federal agencies rely on NEC's technology on a daily basis. Their rapid access biometric solution is currently utilized by 17 airports for biometric entry exit, enhancing passenger security, eliminating long queues, and improving operations and the customer experience. To learn more, visit NECAM.com ARS. Welcome back to our panel discussion using facial recognition to secure the homeland and enhance customer experience, sponsored by NEC here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. My guests today are Nick Megna, Unit Chief of the Biometric Center of Excellence Program at the FBI. Patrick Rother is Computer Scientist at the National Institute of Standards and Technology. Arun Vemery is Director of the Biometrics and Identity Technology Center at Homeland Security. And Matt Pruitt is Chief Federal Solutions Architect at NEC Corporation of America, and I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. And uh, really interesting discussion we've had about the applications, the use cases, the development of algorithms in facial recognition. I guess we should talk briefly about one part of the face, which is the iris. And is that integrated into facial recognition, or is it a separate discipline? And if so, you know, what about nostrils or lips or you know, any other part that, that, that's on our visage? Matt? So with iris, it's separate from face recognition in that usually iris is acquired using different light. You have to use infrared light to do that comparison. However, you can do iris recognition and face recognition and kind of combine the results to give a better answer, so to speak. So it heightens the security of the system. As we see more and more systems roll out that want to use biometrics to speed up um, the experience, I think you're going to see more and more systems start to use multiple biometrics to give a stronger result and more accuracy. So multiple factors could be all biometrics as opposed to the passcode or exactly. something else. Yeah, Patrick, is that what NIST sees? Or Certainly there are cameras capable of taking face and iris almost simultaneously uh, coming on the market, uh, and that's an insurance policy against uh, accuracy uh, in a very large population. If you want to do identification in sort of hundreds of millions, maybe face wouldn't be enough, and then you might switch over to face and iris, as Matt said. Uh, Iris has got a a long track record of of having been evaluated. It has an advantage that it's not uh, known to be a a genetic trait, and therefore uh, you would would, uh, identify twins correctly which face historically has struggled with. Interesting, yeah, uh, that, w- that was a question I had earlier actually and didn't get to, is, is the idea of <coughs> twins or multiples yeah. in facial recognition. I mean, some twins don't look alike and some do. There's different types of twins, but... Uh, so at the, ver- at the very limit of, of face recognition, you're faced with identifying twins and the algorithms uh, are, are not capable really of doing that. Uh, certain algorithms have been published in the past. They're not very practical and are not used. Um, But yeah, uh, genetic similarity is a problem, not for fingerprints and not for iris, but it is for face. Interesting, okay. And let's talk briefly about some of the uh, system requirements because these algorithms and facial recognition exist in an entire system, as we've discussed, say, in airports and so on, where uh, you've got to have the interface and then you've got some kind of back end and then some kind of decision 
mechanism to do that. It's a pretty complicated system. What are uh, you know? What are the requirements, and how do you look at the system in the context of facial recognition, Arun? Yeah. So, so I'll actually kind of take it a, a step uh, higher. Uh, whenever you build one of these systems, you want to make it as fast, easy, intuitive to use as possible. If we're talking about an airport, let's put ourselves in the in the shoes of the of the traveler, right? You are trying to get somewhere. Passing a biometric process is probably not the top of your objective. You want to get to your seat and make sure you have enough room for your luggage, right? But so the thing is, when people you have to kill five people ahead of you, and trip them. <laughs> it could be bad, right? Some days are stressful. Let's let's be honest here. So one of the things is, okay, when a person when when the person's objective isn't let me pass the facial recognition system or the biometric check, how do we provide the environment to make that process? as likely to succeed as possible, right? This means making sure that we have obviously important things like lighting and cameras and whatnot, but, uh, but make the user experience as easy as possible. Uh, we've done tests where we've seen things and, and we've, we've worked with mission partners where there'll be this kiosk thing and like a little pinhole camera and they'll say look at the camera and people will turn and look at the camera in the corner of the room because that thing looks like a camera. Right, people when they're traveling, they're trying to, this comes back to some of the human factors we mentioned earlier. Right, take into consideration that people have a lot on their mind, they're trying to do a lot of things. How do we make the stuff so that it is intuitive or increase the affordance of the process? Uh, make it very effective so that the, the cameras, to Patrick's point before, are aware that I'm taking a photo of a face and I'll, I'll, the camera will make the appropriate adjustments to try to get the best quality face. And that the algorithms are tuned so that they can adjust for the natural variation that people will have. Some people will have baseball caps, some people will wear glasses, some people will be looking at, let's say, their, their travel documents and may not be looking directly at the camera. Let's accommodate those natural behaviors and, and variations in human behavior and be able to use all those things well together. So uh, a lot of it comes down to, yes, making sure you have lighting camera, data connectivity, uh, preferably fast response times, but also thinking about the person and the, the trying to accommodate and, and, and address the normal variations we see when people try to use these technologies. And I guess that affects then the uh, makeup and performance of algorithms because if someone's looking down when they're being evaluated or looking over here or whatever the case might be, then some can handle that and some can't, Patrick. It's a challenge, it remains a challenge. The, the envelope, the capture envelope is expanding. The algorithms uh, uh, have been trained more and more to sort of handle pose variations. And we, we quantify that in, in our published reports. And Nick, how does the FBI look at the whole system requirement when, when deploying systems or helping you know, uh, partner agencies at the state and local level uh, with theirs? So when we when we developed our next generation identification system, we collected a thousand stakeholder requests from the criminal justice community and we decomposed those into system level requirements. And the system that we delivered in 2014 had to meet those requirements for state and locals because they are our customers. Uh, and and we, we premised that off of trade studies that we conducted leveraging additional NIST studies for iris, for friction ridge, and for facial recognition. And uh, we were able to meet all of those requirements, response times, highly available, but also maintain a flexible system that it can accommodate for new technologies because we didn't want to have to go back and reinvent the wheel as things like iris became uh, an option for us. Yeah, so, and I imagine state and local partners are somewhat, uh, or in many cases, are resource constrained. Yes, it, it, I mean, we have 50 states, and we truly have 50 different situations and reference implementations. Some states are very advanced in their biometric operations, and some aren't so much, and they depend on us a little more. So we have to be flexible enough to accommodate for both of those implementations. Sure, and uh, Matt, can the algorithms then work in a variety of systems that may have different levels of, of resources? Yeah, the algorithm really works as a central core, and then there's workflows that are around that. So when you're designing a system, you have to really look end-to-end, -end, taking into account security from all these systems connecting to one central core, but also the quality of the images coming in. So you can imagine with 50, 50 different states, different federal agencies all hitting one algorithm, you have different cameras, you have different quality, you have different lighting, and you have different use cases for every one of them. Uh, what you can look at is what is the use case, how are the photos being acquired, and how do they get to the central system? That's how you get the end-to-end -end process. 
Yeah, so in, in that sense, it matches fingerprints in that you have to have at least a modicum of uniformity in how this work is done. So with face, it's a little more uncontrolled. So you can have use cases, for instance, uh, aviation. So you have passengers boarding a flight, not necessarily looking to use biometrics. They're looking at their ticket, fumbling to pick up their children, things like that. Whereas you also have mugshot uses for the state and local government where people are controlled, the lighting is controlled. So the quality of images that come into a facial recognition system like this can vary wildly. Yeah, and Patrick, then that must come into the evaluations that NIST does because uh, if you have a minimal type of system that's looking at a variety of types of images, the processing requirements for the algorithm uh, must be a factor. We talked about speed of throughput as well as accuracy, but also systems requirements would have a big effect on all of those factors because if you need a supercomputer to get the qualities you want, well, that's not going to be practical either. Yeah, the speed is one thing that we measure, uh, memory usage. Uh, we see quite wide variations across the industry, so the hardware implications of that uh, are, are quite significant. Um, we measure this, there's some emphasis uh, to, to speed things up um, because everybody wants a responsive system. So for example, that process I described earlier of taking a neural network, pushing an image through it, that really has to succeed sub-second for it to be an attractive proposition to an end user. Right, and so Arun, in the case of Homeland Security, uh, you've got a variety of situations and sometimes it is, it is the airline where you're comparing uh, to uh, all the people on that plane. Sometimes it's a situation where you might be comparing, where the, the user might be comparing to millions of people. And I imagine that must affect what you recommend the component agencies in terms of systems architecture. That is to say, do you have to reach out to a database in the cloud that has billions of identities in it, or just can you download what's coming in on the next five airplanes, which is only a few hundred. Yeah, so that's actually a really good point. So uh, with facial recognition in general, Patrick kind of mentioned this earlier, you may be dealing with a different, you know, the, the, where the technology, and, and let me put, be honest up front, the technology is changing very quickly. Like just where it was two years ago to what we can support now with gallery size, that means the number of images we're comparing to, has increased significantly based on the performance. And you know, this stuff is still happening. We, we would likely expect some additional improvements there. However, sometimes what we also see is we're trading off between different types of errors. So for example, um, if we took a face image and tried to match it to a gallery of let's say a billion people, right, that might not work the best. You would probably match to some other people in that gallery, mm -hmm. right, because uh, for a variety of different reasons. So one of the things we're looking at in certain applications is, okay, using other information we have about the process, let's say a flight, we can say here are the 200 people we're expecting on this flight. We can shrink down the gallery size to that specific gallery, and to that specific flight, and say, and get much more confidence. So what we're doing is we're trading off errors between false accepts or, or false positives, with whether that person is on or not or is on that flight or not, with the ability of our, us to get good information about the biographics of who's supposed to be on that flight. So, so we can trade off between these different errors and control for certain things that we have good control over versus the things that are a little bit harder to. Um, so, so yes, we definitely do those types of things. We try to make smart decisions in the design of the system so that we're less likely to encounter some of these errors. So a lot of factors to consider when designing or thinking about systems. And uh, Patrick, earlier you said there's been a revolution over the last several years in, in this facial recognition area. It sounds like that revolution is still rolling. Where do you think this is all headed? Uh, very, very much so. That, that, that is, that is uh, we've seen uh, algorithm developers produce new algorithms in a, a three-month span this year that give markedly lower error rates than their previous effort. Um, that's because the algorithms are becoming increasingly capable of taking poorer quality images. Uh, one outstanding problem uh, will be aging, that over time we unfortunately more or less gracefully uh, change our appearance, and that's sort of a one-way process. And the algorithms need to become more tolerant to that over time. Mm -hmm. Now, in some applications, you have the luxury of re-enrolling somebody. You get a passport every 10 years or maybe five years. Uh, but in criminal justice, for example, you don't get that opportunity. And you would have to maybe try and identify a 15-year-old or 20-year-old photo. Sure. And uh, Nick, I imagine another issue in law enforcement is, is the rise of gangs. Uh, or a new generation of gangs, I guess, if you will. Some of them employ tattoos extensively. And the before and after of a tattooed or heavily tattooed face might 
pose a problem for facial recognition. Right, absolutely, and, and we've seen that in the past with other biometrics. I think there are cases dating back to the Dillinger days of, uh, of mutilations of fingerprints. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the reason why our system is multimodal, where we have multiple biometrics that we can use if we need to go to the friction ridge or the iris, as well as facial recognition, we could do that. Uh, but that is something that's on the horizon with regards to the newer biometrics. Yeah, and so recognition even in a vector system, a change from makeup or tattoos or some other type of external application can affect a vector-based system, Patrick? Yeah, if you make changes to the face, surgery or cosmetics or facial hair, uh, if you make enough change, you will, you will trip up the biometric system. It's no different than a fingerprint if you were to sandpaper off your fingerprints. Yeah. If you put uh, a heavy contact lens in front of your iris, all, mm -hmm. all biometrics can be defeated that way. I guess or have a facelift. Enough of a facelift, maybe, maybe, maybe not a good one. But, uh, yeah. Just don't smile too hard afterwards, yeah. I guess. All right, Matt, what, how does all this fold into the type of research and development going on behind the scenes at NEC? So as we're doing more research and development, we're looking at bringing in other factors a lot to face recognition. So improving face recognition alone isn't the only answer. It's really bolstering that entire ecosystem. So with face, we're trying to improve uh, performance with different angles, different lightings. In fact, the newest algorithm we have can identify face from 90 degrees, full profile images. But then you add in things like tattoo recognition to overcome those tattoos on the face. You add in iris, and you add in other information and fuse that into one result. You can get a better estimation of identity that's more secure and convenient, because you can have both. You can have convenient biometric technology while still maintaining security, or even heightening the security because it was so convenient. So I imagine the ultimate is those silhouettes in the shade. You could identify who those people are. Hopefully one day. <laughs> All right, that's a good place to end the discussion. I want to thank you very much for a fascinating and I think useful discussion for the people tuning in. Our guests today have been Nick Megna, Unit Chief of the Biometric Center of Excellence Program at the FBI. Patrick Rother, Computer Scientist at the National Institute of Standards and Technology. Arun Vemery, Director of the Biometrics and Identity Technology Center at Homeland Security, and Matt Pruitt, Chief Federal Solutions Architect at NEC Corporation of America. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. You've been listening to Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search NEC. This concludes today's panel discussion using facial recognition to secure the homeland and enhance customer experience. Sponsored by NEC Corporation of America. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search NEC.